Thank you, Sarah and Ensemble, for sharing that with us this morning. Uh, before I get started, we're going to do something a little bit unorthodox today, and I'm going to need a volunteer later in the message. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what I need. All I need is somebody who wasn't here in the first service, someone who's not colorblind. Those are the only two requirements. Any volunteers? Am I going to have to call on somebody? Okay, thank you, Jackie. Yeah, you, you kind of slowly volunteered. So in a little bit, I'm going to ask you just to come up here very briefly, and all you got to do is tell me what color you see on something. That's it. Very easy. Last week was awesome, wasn't it? A couple months ago, Pastor Phil came to me and said, Jeremy, tell me if I'm crazy or not. I said, okay. He said, what about the idea of doing an outdoor Easter service? You know, Pastor Phil isn't, hasn't been here that long. He's my boss. So I don't want to tell him, yeah, you're crazy. So I said, well, I don't think you're crazy. Let's just keep talking about it. We've got some time. The more we talked about it, the more we thought this could be an incredible day. We didn't foresee the possibility of everybody gathering anywhere else except for outside. And we hadn't all been together in one place in a year. And so we decided the only thing we can't control is the weather. So we're just going to pray really hard about that and then try to take care of everything else. And it was an amazing day. Nathan, just scroll through some of these pictures um, until you get to the end um, over the next minute here. Um, there's a lot of great things that happened last week. We got to get together in a really large group. We had somewhere around 400 people for the 11 o'clock worship service and, and somewhere around 50 people for the sunrise service. Uh, it was really nice to feel safe and be able to invite the whole church together. We saw some people that we hadn't seen at all in a year. We also got to have styles of music that varied. Huge thank you to, to Rachel, who was up on that platform for, the, for like two hours uh, in, in that wind, and all her music was clipped down. And thank you to, to Sarah and Mike and everybody else who put together all of that music we got to see children laughing and, and enjoy being at church. Every time the choir finished, I'm not sure, the people around us probably heard this, but every time the choir or ensemble finished something, my two-year-old Oliver yelled out, Again! Again! <laughs> he didn't do that after the other music, it was just the choir. We had near-perfect weather. I don't think we can complain about the wind because everything else was so perfect. We got to see an untold number of people serve with a common purpose. I've said several times since then, it was a lot of work to do that. But it wasn't a lot of work on any one person. There were so many people that came together and served with a common purpose that everything just fell into place. The list goes on and on it was a great day. There's one thing that stands alone above the rest of the things that I just mentioned. It, in fact, it was the purpose for the rest of it. The reason that it's worth it to put in so much effort to come together. It's the reason that this community exists and gathers to worship in the first place. And that is 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The early church had a singular message for the world. Jesus Christ had died, but was now alive. That's what they proclaimed. Everything else hinged on this message, that a man was dead and no longer is. Last week, Pastor Phil preached an 11 o'clock service, and I preached in the sunrise service from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. This week, we're going to take a look at what happens right after this resurrection story. We're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, looking at verses 19 through 29. This takes place shortly after the crucifixion, and Jesus is placed in the tomb. It's actually a few different scenes that are kind of tied together to tell a story. And so what we're going to do is is split it up into two scenes this morning. Let's read together the first scene. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. He said. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This first scene is a great snapshot that shows that the resurrection changes everything. We're told that the disciples were together. On this first day of the week, they were together in hiding behind locked doors. Their fear from the Jews had driven them to hide behind these locked doors. Imagine the mood in this room in these moments as they huddled together. Sad because Jesus, this man they loved, had died on the cross. He had been crucified. Perhaps ashamed because they didn't do anything to stop it. Or in Peter's case, even ashamed of his own betrayal. Then, their whole lives, they had been wrapped around for three years following their calling of following Jesus. Imagine the confusion as to what should happen next. What do we do now? In the midst of this fear and this chaos, we're told that Jesus comes. We're not just told that he appears. We're told that he stands among them. I like that it's specific that he's just like standing there. It gives us a picture of what's happening The doors were locked, yet all of a sudden, Jesus stands among them. 
in the midst of their fear and chaos, He comes and stands among them and offers them something that they needed deeply. He says, peace be with you. They're gathered in fear and sadness and shame. And Jesus comes and gives them peace. The peace of Jesus overcame their fear of the Jews. It consoled the grief of their loss and offered hope when everything had been hopeless. Because the resurrection changes everything. In offering them this peace, Jesus is actually fulfilling something He's said He was going to do a few chapters earlier in what is often referred to as the farewell discourse in John. When Jesus is preparing the disciples for His eventual departure. In John 14, Jesus says this to them, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Just a few chapters later, after the crucifixion, the disciples' hearts are troubled. They are afraid as they hide behind these locked doors. And Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. After encountering the resurrected Jesus, the disciples' fear is changed to joy because of the peace that he gives to them. But this isn't all that Jesus does. After giving them peace, Jesus declares that he's sending them in the same way that his Father has sent him. And once Jesus declares this, he does something that would be really frowned upon in COVID times, and probably even before that. We're told that he breathes on them. The breath of the Son of God is a powerful thing. John chapter 1 begins with these words, in the beginning, and then goes on to describe how the Son of God is the Word of God and was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were created. Another book starts off in a very similar way. Genesis chapter 1 saying, in the beginning. And then we're told a story that describes the Word of God or the words of God as He speaks. Speaking requires breath. And the breath of God is a powerful thing. As God speaks, as the Word of God comes forth, life springs into being. Things are created out of nothing. In chapter 2, God breathes into Adam and life bursts forth. When God breathes, life happens. After giving the Spirit to the disciples, we see a statement that, that could be, uh, or is at first glance, quite strange in verse 23. Jesus says, 
if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Sounds like quite a judgmental verse. Sounds like a lot of power being given to these human people that they get to decide who's forgiven and who's not forgiven. It takes some digging in to this sentence to, to try to understand what does this mean in light of the, the rest of the book of John and the rest of Scripture? How does this fit in with our theological understandings of who God is? Multiple commentaries on the Gospel of John point out that this is the only instance where the concept of forgiveness of sins, that word for forgiveness is used to, to forgive sins in the entire book of John. It's the only place it's used. The word for sin is used, but it's not used the way you and I talk about sin. When we use the word sin, we're typically referring to moral issues, moral shortcomings, or moral failures. But in the book of John, sin is used to describe unbelief in who Jesus says he is, or unbelief in Jesus. And so when Jesus says, if you forgive their sins, Jesus is saying, you will play an intricate role in people going from unbelief to belief. Within this context of the book of John, Jesus is saying, you now will continue the ministry that I started here on earth. Now here's the point. Meeting the resurrected Jesus changes everything. Before Jesus appeared to the disciples, they were a group who huddled in fear and secret. After meeting the resurrected Jesus, they were a group who joyfully went out into the world to proclaim the good news. The resurrection is the event that changed everything. Now let's turn our attention to scene two. Have you ever missed out on something and then heard other people talking about it and felt like you really wished you had been there to witness it? Maybe you felt that way just a few minutes ago when I was describing our worship service last week. Maybe you weren't able to be here for whatever reason. And hearing how great it was made you think, wow, I really kind of feel left out that I missed it. Imagine being Thomas in this next part of the story. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Imagine having been absent that day. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here in scene two of this story, we see a very similar setting. There's two things specifically that are quite different. Although the disciples are gathered and they're still gathered behind locked doors, we're not told they were gathered in fear this time. But more importantly, this time, Thomas is with them. Thomas uh, has a nickname that most of you are probably, or at least many of you, are probably already thinking. Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. Oh boy. Imagine that being your name. Thomas had a nickname back then too, but it wasn't Doubting Thomas. We're told that he was known as Didymus, which just means twin. So people just assume he has a a twin sibling somewhere, and that's why he he was called that. But now he has this nickname of Doubting Thomas. But here's the thing. If you pay attention to the first scene in the story, Jesus appears to his disciples. But it's not until after he says, here are my scars, that it says the disciples are overjoyed. See, all of them were huddled in fear as well. They were all unbelieving as well. In fact, the verses before this tell us that Mary had already told them that she had seen Jesus. Yet they are huddled in fear. No doubt, doubting just as much as Thomas had been. It's quite unfair of us to know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. I don't think we're going to be able to change his nickname, but I'd like to. I don't think it's fair for Thomas. Uh, Notice, though, that Thomas is still welcome in this group. See, what we just read a minute ago uh, in scene two starts off by Thomas just declaring that he will not believe unless he sees this for himself. But then a week later, we're told they're gathered again. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas is still a welcome part of this community. Nowadays, we rarely gather with people who don't think or believe the way we do. Thankfully, Thomas, even though he was still unbelieving, was just as much a part of this group as anybody else. I hope and pray we are the type of community that welcomes people into the life of our community. Like this group welcomed Thomas, even though he was unbelieving. When Thomas hears the story of what happens, he remains unbelieving. And that that is the, the literal translation of the word that we hear is doubting. It's the same word as believing, except it's in the negative. So he is not believing. Thomas's words here are often used to, to portray someone who's stubborn or someone who's without faith but perhaps they should be regarded as the opposite. This statement 
from Thomas is simply a statement of a vulnerable truth. Think about it for a moment. Belief is not really simply a choice. You cannot simply choose to believe something. And I'm going to offer to you a silly example with the help of our lovely assistant, Jackie Loshirk. Jackie's going to come on up here. As she's coming up here, I'm going to tell you that Michelle has a sweater. It's one of her favorite sweaters. She really likes this sweater. And I have it in this pulpit. You can just come right up here. You don't have to come all the way up. At the bottom of the stairs is fine. It's one of her favorite sweaters. And uh, I would like for you to just think in your head, what color do you think this sweater is? Red. Now, some of you are thinking a couple of different... We somebody guessed red. We had that guess. That wasn't the first guess in the first service. Somebody guessed red. Any other guesses? Blue was, a, blue was a lot of the guessing because we're in Kentucky, and many of you know we're Kentucky fans, although Michelle doesn't really care about sports. My mom yelled out purple because she probably knows Michelle better than any of the rest of you and knows that that is her favorite color. Variegated. I'm sorry? Variegated. 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 Oh, lots of colors. Okay. Now, I've learned something in the middle of my sermon. I love it. <laughs> Has anybody's mind changed throughout the, the, the process? Now that you heard my mom say purple, did any of you say, well, maybe, okay, I thought red or I thought blue or I thought green, but now I think maybe purple. Oh, sorry, mom, I thought it was you. You're over there. Well, okay, it wasn't my mom, but I've revealed to you it's her favorite color. Yeah. Now, here's the point. As you're given more information, your beliefs changed. So now many of you are thinking, he said her favorite color is purple. It's probably purple. How many of you believe that the sweater is purple? Quite a few of you. Okay, Jackie, just stay right there. I'm going to let you look at the sweater. Confirm or deny. It's purple variegated. It's purple. There is some other, there is some other purple in there, but, but mostly purple, right? Okay, can you just sit down for just a second? Okay. So she's seen it now. She said there is some other color, but, but it's mostly purple. So now raise your hand if you believe it's purple. You've heard Jackie's testimony. Or if you believe it's mostly purple, raise your hand. Okay, even more. Now what if I tell you that I see purple when I look at this sweater? I want you to now choose to believe that the sweater is not purple. Choose to believe it's green. My point is... It's impossible to choose to believe something when you've been convinced of something else. It's not simply a switch you can switch, change in your mind to say, I now believe this. You can try to, to fake yourself out of it, but you need new evidence. All right, Jackie, look closer at the individual threads and try to find purple in there. What you'll see is it's blue and it's red. There's no purple in the entire sweater. That's true. Black, purple, I mean black, blue, and red. Black, blue, and red, and there's some shiny stuff in there. So very great. You're the only one here that got it right. <laughs> it looks purple. From there, your eyes tell you it's purple. 
You can't choose to believe it's something else unless new evidence is presented to you to convince you of otherwise. You have to be compelled to believe something. You can, you can it. Thank you so much. thought I wasn't going to have any volunteers. If Thomas had never been truthful about his lack of belief in the disciples' testimony, who knows if Jesus would have ever come and appeared to them again. But Thomas was truthful about what he believed and didn't believe. And Jesus met him in the exact way he expressed his need for belief. Jesus met him and gave him the gift of believing. In fact, throughout the New Testament, faith is described as being a grace. That word for grace in the Greek literally just means gift. It's a giving of God to Himself, of Himself to you. Faith is not merely ignoring doubts, but giving them to Jesus and then receiving from God through His grace the faith to believe. Hear Paul talk about salvation through faith in the much-quoted verse that's been on the screen throughout the service, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And we like to hear that part and think, that's right, my faith has saved me. But if you keep reading, we hear, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Your faith is not even your own. It's given as a grace, as a gift from God. When unbelief is suppressed or when sin is kept hidden, it thrives, it grows, it swells. But when unbelief is confessed or when sin is brought into the light, when it meets the resurrected Jesus, He changes everything. I stand before you this morning as a pastor who confesses he's prone to periods of doubt. My prayer time changes depending on the needs around me, the needs that are submitted by you all in prayer lines or or things going on in my own family. But there's a consistent prayer that's been a part of my prayer life for some time, and that is for God to give me more faith. Because that comes from Him. I wish we could rename Thomas. Instead of doubting Thomas, I'd like to call him Honest Thomas. Or Vulnerable Thomas. Or Confessing Thomas. Thomas could have pretended. But he didn't. This is not a story of a man with no faith. This is a story of what the resurrected Jesus does. He changes everything. He takes a group of people living in fear and makes them overjoyed. He takes a group of people huddled behind locked doors and sends them out. He takes unbelieving hearts and turns them into believers. All of this is accomplished by the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate during this season of Easter. So bring your fears. When we gather as a community, bring your fears. Bring your doubts. Don't hide them. 
Don't ignore them. Bring them to Jesus. Let him transform you and transform me and transform us as a community into a new creation. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this story and so many other stories that teach us what is accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason that this is the most holy day in the church as we come together and celebrate during this season that Jesus was dead, that he died and was buried, but that he rose again. We come before you this morning, some confessing in our hearts that we have doubt or we have fear. Jesus, meet us in our doubt and our fear. Give us faith and then send us out into this world so that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.